Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, my name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Mia Dyson. But before we talk to Mia, I'd like to say something about the loss of a friend. Far too many influential musicians have died this year, and it's only now June. Los Angeles musician Daphne Amersekis left us last week. She was whip-smart and fearless about deftly blending disparate styles of music into her songs. Daphne had a PhD in chemistry, and she also had a smile for every occasion and for everyone she met. She leaves behind her husband Pete, her family, and a goodly amount of the large circle of the music community of Los Angeles, and I'm not alone when I say that I was shocked and saddened by how quickly she went. But in our sadness, we go on, because I bet damn near anything that she would want the music to never stop. She was one of us. Godspeed, Daphne. Saying that you are famous in a faraway country is both a punchline and a ruse used by many performers to cover for a lackluster career at home. Australia's Mia Dyson was born the daughter of a blues musician and guitar luthier, and she made the jump from listening to her parents' well-curated record collection to being an established singer, songwriter, and guitarist by the time she was 22 years old. Her formative years were spent in a bucolic beach community outside of Melbourne, not the usual breeding ground for the gutsy blues and roots music that would make her famous in her homeland. Her debut album, Cold Water, created enough buzz to send her on international tours to several continents where she played major festivals, sat in with the Mothers of Invention, and opened for Ani DeFranco in New York Central Park. Back home, she supported Eric Clapton on a sold-out Australian tour and was making a respectable living as a musician. But the allure of success in the U.S. was a siren call, so Dyson moved to Boston and established some American roots while continuing to tour relentlessly. As her reputation grew, more opportunities came her way, and Dyson stuck to her guns when choosing her path. It takes a gutsy artist to leave a situation with a famous producer on the table, but that's just what Dyson did when a project with Eurythmics mastermind producer Dave Stewart didn't feel right to her. Her powerful, raspy voice, clever and catchy songs, and facile, assured guitar playing make Dyson a unique performer in a world of cookie-cutter female pop stars, and audiences can sense that they're witnessing the real deal when she steps to the mic and lays into a powerful yell over a muscular guitar lick. Now based in Los Angeles, Mia Dyson continues to make waves in the States while still retaining a high enough profile to return to Australia to go on successful tours to subsidize her conquest of America. She's big in Japan, so to speak, and that's the best of both worlds. Welcome to Independence Day, Mia Dyson. Hi, Mia. Hello, Joe. How are you? I am thrilled to be here. I am so excited to talk to you. This is a ridiculous reason, but like anyone who has a dialect, Americans are fascinated by people (laughs) with dialects, and I am no different. Like you, I could just hand you a book and you could just sit there and read it to me and I would be so content. I love that, that you think that because I do not enjoy my own voice, but I love listening to American accents. So yeah. I get what you're talking about. Well, this will be, well, it's going to be a mutual thing here today. Yeah. You can listen to me rant and I can listen to you talk and yeah. it's going to be fantastic. I, I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to having you on. You're yeah. such a talented musician. Thank you. Um, in the pantheon of talented musicians, I feel like it's rare to run across a talent such as yourself. Whereas, uh, and this is why. I feel like you were blessed, if I may use that word, with a great voice, especially for the style that you do. But then you also backed it up by learning how to play an instrument really well. Like a lot of people who are just just singers, right? There's a lot of great singers in the world. But you've really 
to me, like you took what your raw talent and you really worked to polish it. You learn on your guitar, you learn how to sing, and you learn how to write great songs as well. So that's there's so much to talk about. Thank and, you. Uh, I appreciate that very you're much. Welcome. You're welcome. First thing I want to do is that your background is so different than so... I mean, we're in America here. You're from a different country. And I've been to Australia more than once. And it feels similar to Southern California in a way, like Southern California crossed with England. But tell me, like, now that you've spent some time, like you kind of live here now. Yeah. Like, what, compare and contrast. Yes. Like, you know, especially in, the, in terms of your background. Well... The funny thing about Australia, especially in my house where I was growing up... Um, Which was where in Australia? Well, I, first of all, my parents built a mud brick house out in the bush. We call it the bush. It's the forest. Right. You know, um, you know, school so of like 16 people. The backwoods, exactly. So, you know, hippie parents, you know, we play in the, play in the bush. Um, and then we moved to the coast when I was about eight. So lived, you know, a surfing town not far from Melbourne, okay. um, the capital city of Victoria. And, um, yeah, I, you know, it was so um, remote and yet we got so much American culture. I grew up listening to American music. I mean, Little Feet and the band and, and bands who would sing about America really romantically. And then the American films and the American literature. Big fan of some American writers, you know, Annie Proulx, people who write about the American landscape. So I was, you know, inundated with American culture and drawn to America from really a very young age but I guess you know it's it's very um we have this complex I think in Australia where we're, we're so far from the rest of the world that we just want to get out there and see what it's like and you know we're very l lucky and blessed it's a it's a you know um I mean we've got a terrible history of of um taking the country from the indigenous people we wouldn't know anything about that here <laughs> in america no not at all um but but in terms of modern life there for for a, a vast majority of people it's it's very um you know we have a big safety net we're healthcare, all that stuff and and so i grew up you know very um sort of you know like in a especially the surfing town very sort of white bread um, town and, and, and I felt this real draw, draw to, I guess, the rawer, you know, the more um, raw and, and uh, visceral aspects of culture and, and right. you know, in music and, uh, yeah, so I don't know if I answered your question, but I kind of just well, no, started it's to close. rave. I mean, this is not, <laughs> this is more of a conversation than an interview to tell you yeah. the truth. We just, I mean, I just want to learn about you and what you do and like share that with listeners, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, cause that's, that's the thing. Like, I feel like that's a, that's a common thread for like all kind of teenagers everywhere. Right. Like you could be from the coolest place in the world. Yeah. Like you could go to Santa Monica high school. I don't know. Or yeah. wherever the coolest place yeah. is, New York and Manhattan. Yeah. And you're like, this place sucks. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's normal and it's boring. It's so boring. This yeah. place sucks. I want to get out and do something. And then, but then you get a little older and you figure out, you know, like now when you look back, like when you go back to the place where, like, do you still have family in the area oh, where you absolutely, grew up? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. So it's, like, is it, how does it, how you, do you perceive it now? I love it. It's so beautiful. Um, it's, it's an incredible landscape and, and I'm, I have that affinity with the landscape there. And Melbourne, which is where I moved to, is, you know, the second I finished high school because that's where, you know, the music is and the culture right. is. It's an incredible city. And when I lived there, I was a little less sort of, I was a bit dismissive, but going back, it's... I mean, it, it's like second to Austin in terms of the music venue, you know, the number of music venues and the number of songwriters. Um, it's like the highest concentration of songwriters yeah. in the world. And it's very rich, um, very diverse. And uh, so going back, I think I've finally made my peace. You know, when you go back to your hometown or you go back to your high school reunion, that right, kind right. of thing. I think um, at this age, I've finally made my peace with, with all yeah. of that. And going back is fun. 
Now, do you know, uh, is it The Alchemist, that book by Paul Coelho? Yeah, I do. Where he has to go, I don't want to blow it for anybody, but like he has to go all the way around the world. Like he sees all these different adventures. He becomes like a sheep herder at one point and he has right. all these different avocations that he pursues. And and then he winds up, because he's looking for some treasure. And then it, he was, a, maybe he was a sheep herder to start with or a right. goat herder I or something. I think so. And then he had to go like all the way around the world at all these different adventures and did all these different things and then came back to the place he was sitting under a tree when he started his journey and found out the treasure had been under his feet while the time he was sitting <laughs> under it on the tree. I love that. But that's, but, but see, that's the metaphor is that the treasure yeah. is both under your feet and everywhere else too. Yeah. It's like, right. it's those experiences that it's really- It's wherever you are. It's, yeah. it's like, take it in, be, be aware of like how incredible- Right here. All right. Well, right now, now we've solved the meaning of life. We got some interviews <laughs> over. Good night, everybody. And bye bye. <laughs> See you later. Okay. Just kidding. That's not nearly the end. Uh, we've got a lot more to talk about, but we, I want to play some music. You've got a brand new EP just came out in February, not too terribly long ago. Uh, and it is called, where's my stuff here? It's called Right There. Yes. And we're going to hear the title track from this. Okay. So this is Mia Dyson, M I A Dyson, Australian artist, also an American artist, so to speak. This is her track right there from the EP right there on Independence Day.
I'll try not to take, but you're losing. Very nice, Mia. Thank you. Always nice to hear when artists have new stuff, new material, because it's such a monumental thing. To get to, a record to, to made? To get a record made. Oh. Even in the age of doing it at home and of having access to totally. technology that wouldn't have allowed you to do it. Like, was this one, I mean, why, why an EP as opposed to an LP? That is, yes, a pertinent question because it was an experiment for me. I've, you know, previous to that, released five full-length albums and I'm a big fan of the album as a listener and as an artist. And I, you know, I thought I'd never make an EP and, um, you know, Various people over my career and life have sort of said, why don't you know, maybe you could try doing an EP, especially what appealed to me was the idea of not just making one but making a series and therefore much more regularly getting into the studio and being able to turn songs that I'd just written into recorded material instead of, you know, sometimes you write a, you know, when you're doing an album, you might write a song and then it's not on an album for two years. Two years or more. And yeah, and sometimes you can get sick of the material or, you know, so... We, we, I was going to try that, but I got, you know, I did one and I'm like, I just, it doesn't feel right. It just, it doesn't have the gravity. Um, and I don't mean, you know, please go and listen to it. It's a great record. <laughs> but I feel like for me as an artist, putting together a collection of songs, five, it just doesn't feel right. And right. so I'm going back to full length. <laughs> and I think, well, there, there's a value in making yourself uncomfortable though. Yeah. Especially yeah. as an artist. Because yep. we... Uh, we do the things like, you know, uh, Tom Waits says, you know, your hands are like old dogs. They'll just do the same things over and over again, do the same trails, mm-hmm. sniff the same tree, pee on the same yeah. tree, whatever. And so he pushes himself to do yeah. things, you know, and like and I, I myself, like I take that on as well. Like I, tr- I, I try to play instruments and I'm not good at playing. Yeah. You know, there's instruments I've been playing since the dawn of time and other people will be the judge as to whether or not I can actually play those instruments. <laughs> but But I have been doing it a long time and... But so, I, but I like playing accordion because yes. I barely know how to work the damn thing. Like it's like, and but that's where the beauty comes in. Like, oh, what am I going to screw up, and it's going to be cool, or hopefully it'll be cool, isn't you it? Know, and the because happy that, accidents. That element of play comes back in, right? Where you're a child Discovery. again. You just you, you you. There's no right or wrong anymore. Like whereas with the guitar, I, you know, I know it. I'm like, ugh, I've done that before. Ugh. But yeah, I get on yeah. the piano or or um, you know, yeah, the accordion. Wow, and it's just like free play and there's no like you're not trying to achieve anything like that you know I uh, at least you know for myself when I'm on the guitar there's always that I should be writing a song I should be right. figuring out some riff um but you know it's I love that play because that's brings me back to when I first started playing music definitely and there's also an element of I, I, I was trying to think of a metaphor as you were speaking and I can't think of one because you, you already know the language of music Right? right, all these instruments. You know, unless you're getting into like Eastern music, where the octave is divided up twenty right. into twenty-four notes, or semitones, or microtones, or whatever. Let's just let's stick with the Western yep. twelve-note scale. Right, fine with me. So all those instruments have the same language. They all those instruments have those twelve notes. Yep. Right, but the but the way that that instrument makes that note, or that percussion, or that transient, mm-hmm. or whatever, is so you, it's like you approach an instrument that you don't, you're uncomfortable with. From a sense of knowledge of music, but yet no knowledge of the instrument itself. Yes. So it's like you still have that common thread. You still have that thing that you're sharing, but but you're getting to discover and play. 
Absolutely. So uh, the I mean, pump I, organ oh, is man. one of those ones, like because yeah. everything just sounds beautiful, and if you just know how to play two notes, it's yeah. just like hold hold that note. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's so funny. Like I, I get all existential when I start going down this road, but like th- this music thing, it's all vibration and everything yeah. in the world's spinning, and then you start getting thinking about you know. And the, the world's rotating and it's spinning around the sun and the sun is in the solar system and the solar system's in the galaxy and the galaxy's just one of millions of galaxies and it's... And it's expanding you know, and yeah, yeah, we're flying 90,000 miles an hour. At least. Anyway, yeah. man, I'm Mia Dyson, my guest this week, <laughs> we've, we're gotten, we've gotten way off the rails in terms of ex- existential belief and talking about musical instruments, but uh, it's all tied together, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for taking the time out. I know you're busy, uh, and I really appreciate it, and I love doing this. So thank you for being here. You're so welcome. Why don't we jump right in and play a live song? Like, what's this first one going to oh, yeah. be? Like, you brought uh, you brought an electric guitar. You're mm-hmm. borrowing my acoustic guitar, which is kind of an honor to have a great player play my guitar. So what's this first one going to be? This first one is from a record I recorded in 2012 um, called The Moment. And it was my first... Um, for me, very exciting because it was the first record I made in America, which had been a dream of mine. We we went up to Ojai in in you know not far from here in California, and uh, I just had an incredible experience and worked with some wonderful musicians, including Lee Pardini, who mm-hmm. you've had on this show. And cheers, uh, Lee. Yeah, cheers, Lee. I saw a video there. of him playing with Dawes the uh, other day. Like I knew, I, I heard about it not too long ago, and uh, just so happy for him, man. Me too. So proud. Such a cool guy <laughs> and such a great player. So deserving. Can I tell you a funny story about? Yes. Lee? I just saw him play with Brian Whelan recently. Oh yeah. Brian played Love up Brian. at uh, at the uh, uh, Grand Ole Echo on Sunday mm-hmm. a few uh, a while ago. Then Lee played with him. And after the show, I went up to say, hey, Lee, great show. Do the typical, you know, hey, man, great show. Great to see you play. Nice to see you, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, man, I'm always nervous when you're there. Because when I had him on the show, like for Hammond players, I always, I like it when, because so many people like fake Hammond playing. They don't mm-hmm. move the draw bars and they mm-hmm. don't mess with the Leslie, which is the rotating speaker right. and the draw bars that right. change the tonality, the timbre of the instrument. And like, that's the meat of a Hammond organ. Like you right. watch a great Hammond player, they're always moving mm-hmm. draw bars and the always messing changing. with the Leslie, t- changing it constantly. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, because I'm, I'm always worried I'm not moving the draw bars enough. And I, and I felt <laughs> bad. Because you said that to him? Yeah. And I felt bad. But but in the same t- in the same token, I'm a Reformed Catholic, so a little bit of guilt, if that guilt gets him to move those draw bars, yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Lee, I just, I just revealed my Jedi mind trick. <laughs> That's fantastic. Anyway, okay, so sorry. So, so from that record, I'm going to play um, a song called Tell Me. Okay, Mia Dyson on Independence Day, the track is Tell Me. Fire on a mountainside Gets brighter all the time And it's got you hooked All through the night So much to do You think of little might to do it And the more you hold on to the time you lose it Tell me the things you never speak of Tell me the things you never speak of I hold your body and I'll help you lift the weight up Catch sight of a bird Ooh, it's gone 
When you come upon an ocean, ooh, it's gone. When you're waiting for a friend to come patch up your head, all you have is here now, don't be misled. Tell me the things you never speak of. Dyson, Mia, great work. Thank you. Fantastic. Great guitar playing. Oh, appreciate that. It's so nice to hear someone who knows their instrument. Like a lot of people, especially with a voice as capable as yours, right? Because you could just coast on that, I feel (laughs) like. Your voice is good enough that you could just front a band and do like the uh, do the Janis Joplin thing. Mm -hmm. You know, but like, so what what was it that got you into guitar? I mean, your father. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a way, I really started playing guitar before I started singing. And, and my singing voice was something that developed really like over quite a few years as a teenager. So my parents are both big music fans, amazing record collection, as I said before, um, what I grew up on. But my dad is a is a guitar maker and he, from when I was little, in fact, before I was born, he's producing these beautiful electric guitars. And um, they were, the instruments the instruments were always lying around the house. And uh, in fact, I started a little bit on a piano when I was, you know, very young, but um, got put off by a pushy teacher. But yeah, I, I fell in love with guitar when I realized that like I could 
learn the songs that I loved, you mm-hmm. know, like, and at first it was just about that. I wasn't in, I didn't think about being a songwriter or a singer. I was just like, you know, and at the time maybe around 13, I was like Nirvana and, you know, I could learn these riffs and figure out what they were. And, and I had a musical ear, I think probably again, because of being around music so much and having played a little bit of piano, I could hear a song and, you know, press play on the CD player and pause right. and then like figure it out which I love and I still do to this day and I never really learnt how to, you know, theory but um, enough that I could, you know, get by. But then my singing, you know, was was something that took a really long time to develop I feel like and and at the time my dad always says, you know, my sister's voice was much sweeter. Mm-hmm. She didn't end up becoming a singer and it's not the point to compare but like, you know, he thought she was, you know, had this great voice and, and I was sort of, you know, squeaking along in the background but um, I – I just loved singing, loved playing guitar. And when I realised that I could create something, that that was a, like a massive revelation around 16, 17. A friend was like writing poetry and writing songs and I was like, oh, my God, you can write your own songs. Like I know it seems like obvious but to me it was right. like this revelation that something could come from nothing. I mean it's not nothing but something could sort of, you know, pop out. Right. Yeah. Or something original and – yeah. And that's what I feel like the, the the hump is, and I somewhere along the line you got over the hump, which is writing something in your own voice. Yes, I figure like almost every songwriter's first songs are kind of aping the people that they mm-hmm. loved. You know, who who are those people for you? So, as a songwriter, I guess um, I mean Lucinda Williams was a was a big influence. Um, of course, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Leonard Cohen. Um, you know. My mom listened to all the poets and my dad listened to all the, you know, guitar players. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ry Kuda was a big hero of mine. Um, but you're right. And and uh, with my voice too, I, I just started out imitating people, including Prince. Like he was someone right. I just imitated, you know, at home singing along with the headphones on. Um, you know, and it was it was almost like a, a, a thrill to try and see how much I could sound like someone. Um, but then when I started writing, it was like I have to find my own voice. Right. And um, I don't think I even sort of consciously thought that, but it just seemed obvious. And it, again, it took it took a while. And I think yeah. that's something I still, of you course. know, am looking for. Like, where can I get more me? Like, where can I find more of me rather than yeah? yeah influence. And I think to, to to reference Prince, like you did, like I think that's one of the most important things that Prince taught us. And what a loss, by the way. Yes, such a shock. Okay. Um, is that he taught us that the only because he's he's great. He's revered. Yes. He's a legend. He's an icon. But the only way to be great is to be great at being yourself. Exactly. Or to keep drilling down and finding out what the essence of what it is that you do. Because we got into this because we loved it. Other people were doing it. We were too young to do it ourselves. Yep. At one point. Yep. You know, we're just fiddling around with yeah. a, playing chopsticks or whatever. Yeah. On the piano. But then at some point, like, it, it, it inspired us so much that we had to do it ourselves. Yep. And then it, for a while, you just kind of like... You're learning from the people, so you're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and granted, okay, fine. If you want to keep going, yes, there's still the twelve notes, the time signatures. It's all the same, right? But finding your own thing is the key. Absolutely, it's the key of all of this stuff. It really is, and I feel like it's a lifelong adventure. And I and I so admire people who who like Prince who who are willing to be themselves because it's scary. Like people at first are resistant to something that's new. You know, that, that is truly of original, course. you know. Oh, my uh, God. And, and what an original thing. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, like, no, you're right. Like, this is the funniest thing. Like, that day that he died, like, just like everybody else, I cycled through YouTube. Like, oh, man, look at all these old, awesome videos of yeah. Prince and all these great things that he did. And they showed a performance of him in, like, 1980. 
you know, a few years before he had broke out, he had just done his own first album, like recorded all the instruments himself, and it was some kind of live performance show. And out he comes, and he's wearing like a tiger stripe, like bikini short thing, <laughs> and like some kind of flowy, he's almost naked. Yeah. He's wearing some kind of flowy, blousey thing over it, and he's dancing around. He's like one part James Brown, one part Jimi Hendrix, one part space cosmic dude. Yeah. And it was like, I can't believe, I mean, he must have gotten beat up because he was a little dude. Yeah, he's tiny. But like, to have the cojones, the courage to like yeah. go up on stage as this little dude and wear a tiger stripe bikini thing, mm-hmm. like let your freak flag fly, absolutely, man, whatever and, that is, and still be like, you know, really awesome. masculine and feminine. You know, have this yeah. sort of combination. Um, it's incredible. So I, ahead yeah. of his time, absolutely. You know. Anyway, uh, the, the Prince Road is a road we could go down. So, you know, so you're a kid and you're you're in your. Uh, mud brick house. In your mud, what, what age did you move from the mud brick house uh, to the suburbs? Eight. Sort of eight. Okay, eight. so you're a kid, kid. Yeah. Did you miss the bugs and the snakes and I did. the birds and I the dirt? I did. I went from you know a school of sixteen kids where we were just all sixteen kids of all ages. Right, right, just, right. Mixed you know, together. Mixed all together in one class. We'd go out. The, the school was again in the bush as well, and we'd just go out. We'd build forts. We'd you know mud mud pies. Like we'd do that whole thing. And and when I moved to um, Torquay. And I, I think this, you know, happens to all kids, even if, you know, regardless, but it was like I was hit with commercial culture. Like right. the surfing industry was like, you wear this clothes, you look cool in this, you're supposed to look like that, you're supposed to have blonde hair, you're supposed to like love this, not like that. Right. And I didn't know any of that stuff the until rules. that point. The rules. The rules. And I, I found that really crushing. And I think that was probably, you know, in some ways pushed me towards music because if I'd fitted in with that, I wouldn't have wanted to be spending time in my room playing guitar. I would have right. been wanting to, you know, being admired by the boys or hanging out with the girls. Like, but I didn't fit in. And so, you know, I was drawn to, I already love music, but um, you got to put in those time, the, that time as a teenager to learn the instrument. Right. And I feel like a lot of girls miss out on that because there's so much pressure to be, you know, looking good and impress. you know, like that. there's so much focus on that for girls from the culture and from up peers that they miss out on like learning a skill that takes that time that you would spend, you know, away from your peers just in your room, like learning an right. instrument or, so, you know, I kind of feel lucky that I was this, you know, I looked like a boy and, you know, the guys weren't interested <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I learned how to play guitar and my yeah. parents, of course, I mean, I'm sure without them too, they were very encouraging and, you know, I had them as, they were kind of my, pe- you know, well, I, obviously they wouldn't be my peers but you know they were my um my friends right you know now who was there like one guitar player because you did the difference between you and i'm going to say two things here difference between you and like singer guitar player types and especially female singer guitar types here because i'm gonna i mean i can't help but bring this into it because it, 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 it plays directly into you and your career is that you didn't just learn to play enough to write right you actually did the work more than, like I said, any gender anybody yep. did to actually yep. learn to like play the guitar, yep, like yep. as a thing. So, I mean, you could play guitar in someone else's band and never open your mouth, like right. you're a capable, functional guitar player, yep. Um, so kudos first and foremost, thank you for the first reason. I mean, the fact that you're a girl, chick, woman, whatever, yeah, is separate from that entirely. Yeah. So, that kind of just doubles down on that, but um, but was there where did that inspiration come from? Like, was there one guitar player and you saw that person and went like Jimmy Page? Right. Or was it 
because almost every guitar player can take you back to like one or two people. Absolutely. Because for you, it was extra to like make you learn to go so far down that road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think it was a combination. It was Raikuda who, you know, I just – like that album Paradise and Lunch – I don't know. I mean, I don't know why. As a kid, I just was obsessed with that album, and yeah, it's funny. Yeah. It's like it's very adult music in a way. <laughs> um, but I just, I didn't know. I didn't know what the songs were about. Like I didn't care. In fact, I wasn't really listening to the lyrics. I just was those. Um, I felt like he was able to. He was singing with his guitar. You know, he was kind of creating this um, this emotional um, texture with his guitar playing, and of course, seeing Bonnie Raitt. You know, my dad took me to to see her, um, and even you know, I mean, I play a little bit of slide, and you know, she I know she's mainly a slide player, but just more the the fact of just seeing her do it, you right. know, and seeing her be so good at it um, was powerful to me because there were very few female role models for me. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were plenty of gu- women guitar players, but I just didn't know about them. Right. There was there was Bonnie Raitt basically for me, and you know, maybe Chrissy Hines, but you know, like. Bonnie Raitt was a guitar player. She wasn't, right. you know, just a singer who happened to play a bit of exactly, guitar. That's exactly my point. That's yeah. exactly what I'm getting at right. is that you took it that extra step or that extra 10 steps. Right, right. Which, you know, even men, some yeah. guys just learn enough to play their songs. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. Everyone's got their own thing, being yourself again. But like, but again, so cool. Well, and I think for me too, like as much as I love singing and there's nothing like it, I get like a kick out of you know, more than anything else, like stepping out and trying to play something live where I'm not, I don't know where I'm going, but if I pull it off, it's like the best feeling ever. M- yeah. Much better than pulling off a vocal. Like vocal, it's kind of easier. It's like I know right. I know what I'm capable of. And sure, like I could try something out there and, and like fall off the rails, but I don't know. It just, it seems like there's more to lose and there's more to gain yeah. by stepping out on guitar. Well, it's once removed. Like mm-hmm. our voice we carry around, I say this a lot on this right. very show, like we, we all talk and they're related, the singing yeah. and the talking. Yeah. Some people's singing is kind of talking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially in modern styles, you know, like yeah. rap style, hip hop style music, like it's less singing and more, it's verbal and talking. Yeah. You carry around your voice. We talk, we interact every day. And then, you know, singing, people who are terrible at singing still sing in the shower because it's yeah. an instrument you carry. It comes from within you. It's very yep. easy, I don't say easy to do, but... It's just, it's, you don't have to learn anything. You just open yep. your mouth and do it. Yep. And then you maybe you get good at it or you don't. And you can certainly take lessons, et cetera. But on an instrument, there's a level, it's, it's once removed. Mm-hmm. You've got to learn the mechanics physically yep. of how it works, how it's tuned, how it sounds, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I feel the, ex- I'm the same kind of way. Cause I, I love to, when I'm improvising, to get out on that edge and like I might screw it up. And I yep. actually might. Yep. But when I do it right, there's nothing more gratifying. Absolutely. Anyway, let's hear you do this. You brought an electric guitar. What's the next tune going to be? Absolutely, yes. Uh, again, from I'm I'm starting with the uh, the moment record, and uh, we're going to play a song. I'm going to play a song called "When the Moment Comes," which is um, you know just one of those. I think when I first moved to the states, you know, it was overwhelming, and it, it, even though it was my dream, it was like whoa living in another country, the whole thing, you can imagine yeah. the challenge. And, and I think, um, you know, just learning to trust myself and learning to uh, – I grew up a lot, even though I was already 28 or something when I moved here. Like I grew up a lot in the yeah. first couple of years. Actually, when here. we come back, I want to talk about that, like the, the coming to America section of yes. the interview. Because yes. it's, it's an amazing thing to like have 
uh, encourages, I can think of a better word, you know, to, to jump into the ether and go totally. to a new place. I mean, we speak English here, you speak English, it's not that hard. Right. But right. still, we'll talk about that in a second. So this is Mia Dyson. You can learn about her. By the way, you know, I dropped by her website. You should buy her music. Uh, MiaDyson.com, M-I-A Dyson, D-Y-S-O-N. Also, uh, what do you, what's her on Facebook? What's your, I forgot um, to ask you about it's that. It's facebook.com slash Mia Dyson. Perfect. Too. Yep. And Twitter is Mia Dyson Music as exactly. well. Exactly. So you know where to find her on the internet. It's pretty obvious. Everybody's pretty branded in that regard these days. Absolutely. So thanks for taking the time. Can't wait to hear this. This is Mia Dyson with the song When the Moment Comes on Independence Day. performance from Mia Dyson, M-I-A Dyson. Learn about her at MiaDyson.com. And of course, please drop by indepthday.com. 
I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Follow us on Twitter at Day. Also Instagram at Day. We've got, man, so many episodes now. Like, I can't believe this thing's like a train off, just out of control. Love it. And I, and I love having you like part of the Independence Day family. Like, I, I, every one of these artists, like, I make a connection and then we, because we talk about what they do and their mm-hmm. life and their love. Because mm-hmm. this is what we all love to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm, I was like, I'm stalking every one of them in some regard. Like, seeing where you're off to in the world. Um, and with you specifically being off in the world to tie it all in, being coming from Australia, a whole different culture, a mm-hmm. whole different time zone, a whole different hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- you know, you talked before about having like a romance with America. Mm-hmm. And I, I, having traveled around the world, there's a weird thing about America. Yeah. It's like the big benevolent yet sometimes malevolent <laughs> older brother. Yes. It's like sometimes you love them, sometimes you hate them, but you can't not look. Absolutely. Because our culture is, like it or not, this culture is so big yep. and so powerful um, and is a leader in so many ways, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and like coming from the culture, like so you're looking at it from afar. Mm-hmm. And then at what point did was the seed in your head planted? Like what was the first, do you remember where you were when they had that first thought like, I think I might move to America? Well... I mean, I remember being a kid and wanting to go to America with, you know, no aspirations at that time. But there's a huge difference between, like, wanting to visit somewhere and, like, wanting to move there. Absolutely. Well, it was after my third record, actually, um, and I'd I'd made a couple of trips to America to to play some shows in the previous years, but I was like, I cannot get my teeth into this country unless I go and live there. And uh, so around, I don't know, 2008, 2009, I just made, you know, I got – an American booking agent and I just had this like epiphany. I have to go. I have to move there. I have to go and live there. And um, I rang up my booking agent. I was like, where should I live? And they're like, well, I think East Coast because there's so much touring opportunities. It's like New York, Boston, Philadelphia. I was like, New York seems too overwhelming. Philadelphia, I don't know anything about. Let's go to Boston. (laughs) And also... So many... There's a whole Australian community. Everyone knows that in Boston. I know. It's crazy. kidding, of course. I I know. Probably isn't. There's probably like eight people. There isn't. And I mean, I think because my agent knew a lot of people in Boston. Uh, And also, there's actually quite a a strong Americana scene on the Cambridge side of Boston. Um, So I moved there, you know, with just no plan. uh, No no financial plan. (laughs) And... um, you know, I mean, I loved it. It was it was extremely challenging, but I I I think I'm really glad I moved to Boston first and not Los Angeles because there's like a real community. Like I I fell in with this you know group smaller. of music smaller. I fell in with this group of musicians. I started playing like weekly shows, residencies. Um, great people, wonderful. And then I had an opportunity to come to LA, and I'd already really liked LA because it fit you know the weather and and it feels like parts of Australia, the desert. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, just it's so interesting here. and and But you don't really get to appreciate LA until you live here, I feel like. And, right. And so it took me a while and now I'm in a completely a convert. And, you know, I always have to justify it to people, right. which is just so boring. But, um, but yeah, I, I feel like I, you know, I had so many setbacks when I came here to, I mean, to America. And, you know all reasonable people would have turned around and go Well, tell me home. about those. Like what, what happened? Well, for, for starters, like just, you know, going like getting over here and uh, getting to Boston and going like, oh, I've got no money. Like I can't pay a band. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. You know, because I wasn't earning like I was earning in Australia. Um, 
you know, and uh, I can't play a band. Okay, I'm going to try and play solo, I guess, because I'd always played as a band from like literally the first time I performed. I never was, you know, one of those people who starts on acoustic and, and plays solo. So that was scary and a big deal for me. I, I kind of had to rework all my songs and figure out, can I Here's a mechanical play solo? question. Yeah. At that point, were you doing electric guitar and singing? Yep. Because that's a different... It's a very, very different approach. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. And Jeff, I didn't, that's like the Jeff Buckley thing. Like that's how he started. Right, Go right. On. Anyway, I'm sorry. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't know how to do that. And I had like, you know, I'd do the thing where I, because I love bottom end and I want to have that full bass sound. And so I dropped the D, you know, to get some songs so that when that's I go to the- That's the lowest note on a guitar. For people who are right. not musicians, the lowest note in standard tuning is an E. But if you drop that D a whole step, yeah. which is like one thing- uh, gives you it opens up another tonal totally. So if universe. you're in the key of A and then you go to the four for the chorus, you've got that low D to like really give it that that beef, <laughs> which I love. So that was something where I really ex- that expanded my musical kind of ability and base by being forced to play solo, being forced to rework my songs to figure out how I could make them work without a band. That was one big challenge. And then, um, basically losing. You know, I I came over with a bass player. I couldn't afford to pay him. He had to go home. That was kind of tragic. And, you know, <laughs> someone I loved, you know, so so um, then I when I moved to LA, I started working with Dave Stewart of Eurythmics and, and you know, this was kind of like my, at the time felt like this big opportunity. So how did you meet, like how does one meet Dave I know, Stewart? Like I know. if you're Tom Petty, I know exactly how you meet Dave yeah, Stewart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when you're Mia Dyson, not to say that you didn't have a career at that point, no, not no. to say that you weren't, you know, did, you'd made a name for yourself in Australia, certainly. Right, right. But like, like you show up, did you meet him elsewhere and then come here? Or it's did like kind you of were a boring like story. I'm sorry. Or, you know. <laughs> unfortunately, it was just not unfortunately, just in terms of an exciting story or lack of. Uh, my my manager at the time had worked for him previously, and my manager came over with me, but moved to LA so that he could work again. Like his plan was because he knew I wasn't going to be making money straight away. He'd he'd work again for Dave Stewart, get a paycheck, and continue managing me. And in the meantime, while I was in Boston, you know, he was in Dave's ear, you know, Mia, like, listen to this music, blah, blah, blah. And eventually Dave, you know, became interested because Dave was managing artists at the time. That was his thing. Uh, You know, he's done, as you, I'm sure, know, so many different things. But um, And we're talking about Dave Stewart from the Arrhythmics here. Eurythmics, for people who aren't keeping score. Absolutely. Because it's it's been a while now. His name's not in the news like it used to be. Right, right. Well, he's... I mean, you know, he does photography, filmmaking, like all sorts of, you know, different things. But it felt like this big opportunity. It wasn't. You know, it was never – we were never the right match. And, you know, he wanted to change my name and, like, do a whole, like, image thing. And that's – like, that's that's his skill, one of them. But it just didn't – you know, I'm such a – you know, we've – like, I just love playing music and being who I am and, you know. So um, we split and then I split with my my boyfriend – So I'm just alone, like LA, no manager, no band, no boyfriend. I'm in LA and I haven't made a record for like four years because of all this, you know, moving to the States and, and I'm like, what am I going to do now? So that was, you know, the point at which most people, you know, sensible people would go home. And it's not that I, you know, didn't want to, I, you know, I desperately would have loved to have gone home to have the support of my family and friends, but I just loved being here so much. And even without anything going on, I was like, I'm just going to keep writing and I'm, yeah. you know, see what happens. And, and, um, and, and as happens, if you just kind of put your head down and continue doing what you do, eventually I met some incredible musicians and 
started thinking about how to make the next record and it just, you know, started to, to roll again. So in that period, how were you, I mean, were you supporting yourself musically but by music gigs? I was still making enough, you know, dribs and drabs coming in from Australia okay. and, I'd, and I'd go back there and do a tour right, and, right, you know, right. okay. kind of get myself, you know, some... I mean, what a wonderful thing to have. Well, I know, I totally... Totally. But I was so like, no, but it doesn't mean anything if I can't make it in America. <laughs> oh, man. It's silly. I know. Now I don't feel that way. But yeah. at the time I was like, you know, and now I mean my idea of making it is so different to what yeah. it was when I was 20. But it, the funny, it's always been that way though. Mm. You know, like think about the greatest British rock bands that we all revere. You know, the Zeppelin, the Stones, mm-hmm. Pink Floyd, the Who, the Beatles, of course. They all... What did they want to do? They want to do one thing. Make it in America. They wanted to make it in America. But it's, I mean, if nothing else, that's the, fi- the finances. I, totally. It's a big country with a lot of people yep. and, you know, and, and some of them even support music. Yeah, but also, <laughs> I know, I know. But the music that came out of here, like all of those bands owe it to America, the right. music that they that they created and, and including myself. I mean, we just don't have that musical history in Australia. There is traditions and there is, um, you know, now also like just you know incredible Australian songwriters, but right, right. that rich history that that you have in this country, and not just one genre of music, but multiple right. genres of music, um, you know, that have come out of some of the worst, you know, um, human tragedies of right. you know of modern times, you know, or not even modern times, but uh, it's so rich and so um, so. Uh, Diverse is the thing, yes. if I may jump in, because yeah. that's where the I think there's a strength, and I think I think Americans yep. have forgotten this. Let me go off on a yep. small tangent no, for do just it. a second. Do it. Is that there is strength in diversity? Yes. There is there is an advantage to diversity. There yes. is, uh, you know, and I feel like the, our founding fathers in our country set out to make it that way. Like mm-hmm. whether they knew it or not, yep. they were smart. Yep. And they built that in from the get go. Like yep. this is everybody can come here. Yep. Everyone can make a life here. Everyone can you know, melt to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but yet retain their identity of whatever culture. Because yeah. growing up where I grew up, you know, I, I'm half Lithuanian, which is Baltic yeah. Republic in Northern Europe, Northeastern yeah. Europe, which is essentially Russian. My dad's side's from Scotland. So they've got that in there. And that's, but that's the Southeast part of America where they emigrated to. So there's like that folk tradition yeah. there. And then, but then you look at, you know, then we have our African-American mm-hmm. problem. That's a problem. I don't mean that in a bad way, but yeah. like for them, it's a problem. We yeah. uprooted their culture and Absolutely. brought them here. Absolutely. Stolen people. Stolen, dropped them off, it's, you know, slave labor. Yeah. And, but then, you know, think of all the other, and then the Germans, like growing up mm-hmm. where I grew up, the Germans, the Polish, the English, the Scots, the, there weren't any Australians around, the African-Americans, the, yeah. the Latin cultures, both from... Uh, Italy and the people from Mexico, people from wherever, and yeah, it was the they were all there, French, yeah, everybody. And not to say that everybody gets along and it's some kind of ridiculous hunky dory cartoon, but yet it all affects everybody mm-hmm. else. Yeah, so it's like the British food in England. Yeah, <laughs> the Brits took over India theoretically, and it was a colony. Um, but then look how it went the other way. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, like everything affects everything else. Yeah, anyway, I'm way absolutely off on that no. It's and it's so important to remember when with this immigration stuff going on now. It's like America and Australia were, were, right. was created by immigrants. We're all immigrants. Yeah, and uh, and it's we we benefit so much from yeah. from the influence of other cultures and and yeah, it makes us stronger. And as musicians, I like to think that we're emissaries for that sort absolutely. of thing because we're the ones. I don't know, most musicians I know are pretty open 
Yeah. Politically speaking. Absolutely. Because once you go everywhere and you figure out that there's one more than one way to chop down a tree. Yeah. And there's more than one way to write a song. There's more than one yeah. way to prepare food. Like, oh. Absolutely. It's different everywhere and it's okay. Yeah. And I think, you know? yeah, creating art of any description requires empathy. And, and I think that's where that openness comes from. Yeah. It's like an understanding of what it's like to be someone other than yourself and, and to exactly. put yourself in someone else's shoes and not just assume that, well, if I can do it, then everyone else should be able to do yeah. it. Or if I think this, then everyone else should. Yeah. yeah. It makes me wonder what happened to Ted Nugent. <laughs> <I know. God. laughs> Who was mean to you as a child? Oh, was your right. dad a jerk? Yeah. Ted, call Absolutely. me. You sound angry. What's what's the deal, man? It Absolutely. doesn't need to be that way. I don't understand. No. In any case, uh, did Joe Walsh not too terribly long ago was angry that from the Eagles guitar player, yep, uh, yep. James Gang, uh, the Republican uh, National Convention was going to he was going to play, but he didn't know it was it was it was a benefit for some veterans group, but he didn't know that it was specifically for the Republican Party, and he right. pulled out. You know, it's funny because, and I never try to read. I try to never read comments at the end oh, of stories. God. You just learn the worst of humanity. Yes. And but you know, all these people are like, well, I was thinking about going to see you play this concert, and now I'm not sure if I'm gonna. And it's like, thankfully, he's Joe Walsh, and he can be like, fine, don't come. Yeah. I don't want you here. <laughs> yes. You know. Anyway, uh, we're we're now we're like way off into the <laughs> we're solve, trying to solve the issues of the human condition. Of course, always. Mia Dyson and Joe Armstrong's Human Condition Talk. So, uh, but this is all about the music. So, what's the next tune? You've got uh, this is a kind of a different thing we've got set up here. Yeah. What's this next one going to be? Yeah. So, um, I'm a big Leonard Cohen fan. Have been for for since I was little. Uh, when my mum played me his records, and uh, last year, late last year, I tried a couple of his songs um, to record, but to put a different melody to them, a melody that suited my voice more. Cause you know, he's got that low register and, and uh, sometimes very monotonal, which I love. Um, but I, I try to put them into a more sort of Americana, um, you know, theme. And, and I love, I loved doing it. And I, I mean, his lyrics just blow my mind. So I'm going to play a song called In My Secret Life. Okay. And what era of Leonard Cohen is this? Is this, this kind of making more modern? More I, modern. I, it's probably, I mean, Probably 10 years ago, but still that's, that's modern, modern for him. <laughs> yeah. He's now 80, isn't he? He's up there, man. Yeah. He's a journeyman. Oh, still at it. It's amazing. All right. So Mia Dyson with a Leonard Cohen cover. This is In My Secret Life on Independence Day. morning You are moving so fast I can't seem to loosen my grip on the past And I miss you so much There's no one in sight And we're still in love in my secret life in my secret life I smile when I'm angry I cheat and I lie I do what I have to do 
Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. Thank you very much for doing so. We come to you Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time, indepthday.com and also indepthday.com slash iTunes. You can find us on Apple's Empire, I guess you would call it. Uh, this week's guest is Mia Dyson. She's an Australian artist. She lives here in Los Angeles mostly these days, but she still does some stuff back there. Uh, you've toured internationally. You continue to do so. Uh, MiaDyson.com is your website. Such a joy to talk to you. And you, Joe. Like it's, so, it's like the culture's you know, like a United States and Australia, kind of like Canada in a way, they're like kissing cousins. Yes, yes. You know, because we share a lot of common lineage, mm-hmm. you know, the British imperialism, yeah. uh, a common language, of course. Um, love of some of the same, love know, of big some sports. Of the s- sports, like, uh, cultures. Yeah. It's funny, Australia is so fascinating to me. The times <laughs> that I go there, I mean, geographically, it's odd because almost everybody lives on the outer mm-hmm. edge. It's like the a outer donut rim. With a real thin, <laughs> the real thin rim, you know? <laughs> Uh, whereas like Canada, like everybody lives, you know, what, what is it? 90% of Canadians live within a hundred miles of the American border right? or something wow. like that. Cause it's, well, it's cold up there. Yeah. Keep uh, it close. It's, it's, 
Uh, and so there, there are so many similarities. And I've, I said this once before, but like Australia to me felt like having been to England and having been to living in Southern California kind of felt like kind of between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's would, a I little bit British in its like stiff upper lip kind mm-hmm. of thing. But the people in Australia are so much more laid back right. than the Brits. Yes. You know, um, and then, you know, from, from the American side, like, you know, we got growing up ACDC, of course, was the yes. biggest thing. And then we got Men at Work. Yep. Then we got NXS. And then we got uh, uh, the uh, Finns, which are actually really New Zealand, but it's right. for us. It's We claim it, them. It's we close claim enough them. Yeah. for us. You know, they, they avoid, they, then most people can't tell the difference between nope. the dialect anyway. Nope. Um, Even though it's actually really different. Yeah, it's really different. <laughs> I've never been to New Zealand. I would love to go. It's so beautiful. I've heard as much. Yeah. I mean, I saw yeah. all those Lord of the Rings well, movies. Well, of course. You've seen, yeah. Uh, and in any case, um, so let's talk about, I mean, this is almost taboo, like this women in music thing, Mm -hmm. but like, you're so unique in this regard. And I keep like lauding praise on you for, for this, but like, you're a facile guitar player. You function as a guitar player. You're, you could lead the band on guitar. You're not just playing rhythm guitar. Mm -hmm. You can take a solo and it's entertaining and it's, it's good. You know, guitar amps, you know, guitar tone, Mm -hmm. you know, guitar pedals. Um, like, are there times when you show up at a gig? And you can feel everybody like, oh, yeah, it's a chick singer. But then there's a moment, like, I feel, I've felt this personally. It's an honor when I feel this. Like, there's a moment where the audience either figures out if you're good or not. Right, right, right. Right, and they switch. But it goes doubly for you. Right. Being a female, Mm -hmm. being diminutive in stature. Like, can you feel that still at shows, like, sometimes? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, sometimes it's fun to get a kick out of that. Like, I've definitely had, you know, often I'll show up at a, especially, um, you know, I mean, Luckily, I get to travel with like some, you know, my own sound guy and my, obviously my own band. But sometimes I'll show up at a festival and they're like, so, you, you know, always assume that I play acoustic guitar. That's one thing that I always get. It's like, no, I've got an app. Don't need a DI. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really like on the one hand, I love being someone that, um, that other women, you know, can, can see, oh, you can do this. You can uh, – because uh, that's what I needed to see when I was a kid uh, or a young woman was role models. Role models, like, and I've heard someone like me mm-hmm. who I can you see someone like you. Yeah, because like dudes do everything. Yep. Yep. For again, for better, for worse. Right. Um, right. But it's Absolutely. different. It's so different for women. Absolutely, and I mean, and I I think that's true of any race too. You know, being seeing your your person represented your the the way that you look represented doing something out there in the world that you admire that you want to do and going oh it's possible because you can't look at you know I I mean I remember um you know like Kurt Cobain and just like until I saw Bonnie Ray it was like I can't do what he does but oh I can't occur to you it didn't occur to me exactly I didn't even think I didn't even think I can't I just didn't it didn't occur to me that's a really good point um, so, you know, it's, it's thrilling when I'm out there and, you know, young, young women have come up and say, oh my God, like, yeah, I want to do this is, you know, and, and, and feeling, um, yeah. And also, you know, having guys who at first are a bit standoffish and, you know, other musicians or whatever who are like, oh, that's sorry. I did that again. <laughs> um, you know, but I look, I look forward to the day where it's not a thing. And uh, it'll be great when, you know, especially, you know, I just, there's a lot more women guitarists now, but there's not enough drummers, there's not enough bass players, there's not enough sound engineers, you know, people in the industry, behind the scenes. Right. Like, it's still a very male-dominated. There's more than ever before, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. And when we get into these topics, like, I, I, I'm embarrassed as a, ma- as a male. <laughs> 
that it's not that there's not more parody right. in that regard. Because right. I honestly think, you know, I mean, other than like carry heavy cement bags, which is a f- simple thing of physics and stature, like you can do absolutely everything yeah, that we can do. Absolutely. 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 And it's and it's it is shameful and embarrassing and it's getting better. It is. It's getting better. It is. But I mean, here's where I mean I've I've been thinking about this because I wanted to talk about this with you. Yeah. But I, I have a small confession to like the world to make. This is yes. how I learned about this topic. I yeah. used to work at a guitar store when you're a young guitar player. Like, well, where am I going to get a job? Well, I could work at the guitar, the music shop. So I got a job yeah. at the music shop, and I didn't work in the guitar department. I worked in the recording department. More complex, more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But. I was in the, in the keyboard department was right next door. And of course the guitar department's right next door to that. And one day, this is years ago, I'm in there and there's a girl sitting there, but she was acting kind of shy and she was kind of sitting kind of off by herself. And I, and I love people. I love talking to people. Maybe that's obvious. And I walk up to her and I'm like, Hey, you know, you hanging around? Like, I mean, I'm not trying to pick her up. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to be creepy. I'm not trying to yeah. be that weird dude. But I was like, you know, are, are you here with your, I'm trying to make conversation. Are you here yeah. with your boyfriend? Yeah. Are you are you here with your, you know, whatever? And she got really mad. No, I'm a musician. I'm here to play. And I was so embarrassed mm-hmm. and just uh, crushed and crestfallen mm-hmm. and like mortified mm-hmm. because that was not my intent right. in any way to make her feel less than she could ever be right. or anything other than a fully capable musician. It was more the fact that she was sitting off by herself, right. not right. playing instruments, right. not looking at guitars, not actually doing anything. And maybe from her perspective, she's trying to build up the courage to do that because she's never been told that she could do that her whole life. Right. But Absolutely. then I felt terrible. Totally. I felt terrible. So I learned a very important lesson, which I will never is it, even though that was not my intent right. to come out from that perspective, I will never do that again as long as I live. Absolutely. So I You're apologize. forgiven. You're forgiven. Um, but and, it's, a, it's a really, it's funny that you bring up guitar stores because I could not go into guitar stores as a kid, or not as a kid, as a young, you know, young woman. I found them so intimidating yeah. and so like, I mean, I think they probably are for anyone. Like to sit down and play in front of like, because of course all of the, the, um, the shop guys are, are musicians. Or dudes. They're dudes and they're, they're also not just mus- guys, they're dudes. They're dudes and they're musicians and they've, you know, they're probably, you know, super great musicians. And like I was so lucky that my dad made guitars. I, I didn't have to go to guitar stores. I just, you know, but anytime that, you know, I had to get like a pedal or something, I was just like, oh, I don't want to go and try it out in front of people. I was so yeah. nervous. <laughs> so let's, well, let's geek out on like, I, we never get to talk about this uh, yeah. that much on the show. Let's geek out about like guitars and amps. Like, yeah. like who, now your dad was a great you know, asset and ally. Yes. Because I'm sure, I mean, I, I can't imagine he ever told you you couldn't do any of those things. No, Just no. always from the get go. Yep, absolutely. Um, and even now, like, is, I mean, he must be pretty proud. He is. He's very proud. It's, it's, it's really fun. He's, he's a stoic kind of character, but, yeah. you know, he'll tell other people. Like, that's how I'll hear it is like, you know, how proud he is. He yeah. won't necessarily tell me, um, but he's, he's becoming more and more. Uh, expressive in his yeah. in his later years. I think that's normal. Yeah, people kind of mellow yeah. a little bit. And Absolutely. I mean, look at your career, though. Yeah, like you're 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 doing it. You totally. Know? Multiple albums, touring regularly, mm-hmm. making a living. At yeah, it. yeah. You know, and I mean, from any parent's perspective, I can only imagine that you're just having your kids be functional members of society. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, what's that? That Chris Rock, you know, the comedian, yeah, the kids, things yeah. like your your job as a parent is to keep your your daughter off the pole and your son off the pipe. Yes, you yes. Know? So it's like so if you they're can do that. If they're paying taxes and nothing, if nothing else, you've at least established mm-hmm. like status quo. But, so, but like, I mean, anyway, go on. I'm sorry. Yeah, getting to play. I mean, you know, getting to play his guitars, the, the, the sort of the fruits of his labor. 
um, it's you know I'm feel proud about that. You know, like it's it's a very cool thing. And and you know he's not he's not making them anymore. He's retired, so they're like precious instruments. To, you know, he always made them by hand. He never had a factory. He never had an assistant. It was like hand wound pickups. Um, you know, everything made by hand. So they're very precious. How many to instruments me. do you think are out there? Do you have any idea? I know. I yeah, absolutely. He I think he made 150 guitars. Oh, there's not that many then. Yeah. Nope. Okay. Nope. Are there any in the states other than yours? Do you know? I think. Um, well, not that he lives here, but Billy Bragg's got one. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a couple over here. And he's definitely made a lot of pickups for people. Like he, okay. people will put um, – he's famous for his bass pickups and people will put his pickups in their what Fender bases. What a weird basses. thing to be famous yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, I know. Who knows? The world is weird that way. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, man, I mean, so there, so now let's let's get back to this chick thing. Yes. Just, just for a second. Yes. So like like you've got to have some stories. Like, cause I mean, I, I can feel like there's a moment, like for, like again, for every musician where the audience either figures out that you're good or you're not. Right. And you right. can, when you're a musician, you can feel it on stage. Right, right, right. But like for you, like you show up, uh, like we were geeking about guitar stuff. Like when you're, yeah. when you're looking for like an amp, like what, what's your, what's your thing? Right, right. Well, you know. Or your tone thing. Cause your tone's tone a little thing, Hendrixy a little bit when you yeah, do Yeah. I, you know. Again, my dad had these, all these amps. I was so lucky to basically have an incredible tone handed to me from from um, a young age. And I really had to actually earn that tone because most kids have to go through like figuring out what's a good guitar, what's a good amp and find that their tone. Um, but, you know, my dad and I found this um, golden tone amp. It's made in Melbourne in the 60s, tube amp, um, big old thing that he actually very kindly – it was it was a combo and it was so heavy and he he split it up into a, an amp and speaker so I could carry it. And now you combo know. again for people who oh, are yeah. not musicians. <laughs> I was having like these little sidebar just clear things like yeah. a combo amp is when you have an amplifier which is the part that actually makes your guitar louder and the speaker is in one cabinet or one yep. box. Yep. So if you see an amplifier that's the speaker and the amp together, like most amplifiers I would say are probably combo amps. Yeah. But then there's a what's called a head if you take the amplifier off of that and then the speaker's on the bottom. Like you see a half stack. Like exactly. when Guns N' Roses plays, they play a half stack. Or maybe there's a whole wall of them, a full stack. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry, just a little... I love it. I love it. it of course, we have to. Yeah, and I just, you know, was so cool because I was able to carry the amp in one hand and the speaker in the other, and you know, set up my own gear. And I remember, like, I remember one one thing that really stuck out was, um, you know, one of the first gigs I did in Melbourne, and this like guy came up to me and was like, "You should just play. You should just sing. Don't play guitar." Like, you know, as if like, you know. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't even saying that I was a bad guitar player, but he just thought I should be singing and up front. But whatever. It, it really stuck out for me. But, you know, I, I basically avoided guitar stores like The Plague and avoided like playing in front of other male musicians. And um, I almost did my my early days in secret because like I didn't tell any of my school friends that I was a musician and it was like in my bedroom playing guitar. And then, you know, I'd get my dad to, you know, because there'd be gigs I couldn't legally be in the venue at the age that I was so dad would come with me and be my guardian and you know play in front of a few drunk guys and then go home <laughs> it's like hilarious but you know for the most part I feel like male musicians all through my career have been very supportive like you know even though especially when I first started I was like I felt like I was the only woman you know in in my peer group but um you know I had a lot of encouragement and support so I can definitely say that you know um I didn't get a bad run there yeah, and now it's, it's, it's got to be different now. Absolutely. You've got a name. Like you show up and people are there yep. because you do what you do. Right. And because right. the guitar is going to be cool. And, and it's just such a, 
ah, I keep coming back to this, but it's, it's, it's refreshing to see someone do like, I, I kind of call it the Jeff Buckley thing mm-hmm. where you play an electric guitar and do solo stuff, mm-hmm. even though most of your gigs are, are band gigs. Right, but more and more I do, I do do solo. So yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting, you know, I mean, of course, we all know the acoustic and singer-songwriter solo thing and that's great, um, but it's, you know, it's an interesting challenge to try and make a song work on electric solo. And in, in a lot of ways I sort of think, there's more scope and I don't know why more people don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a whole, I mean, well, it's an extra thing to schlep and like you right. can just, you can see the sound guy or girl roll their eyes when yes. you, you, you come in and do anything different, which is, it's, it's, it's almost too bad. Right, like I, right. You know, having been a sound guy too, like I used to love it when people would bring in crazy instruments. Yeah. Like it's a challenge. It's a yeah. fun thing. Like, how's this going to be? What are they going to do with this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I love the guitar and vocal thing, acoustic thing too, but like, it's, it's kind of tiresome. Like you have to do it really well to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe, maybe you would share this. I don't know. But like when I'm playing, I like those gigs more when I have regular band things more often. Yes. Like if I'm forced to play solo cause I have no other option, it sucks. Totally. I don't like it. I, I totally hear you. If I'm forced to play solo versus choosing to play solo, I, it sucks. That's the best way. Yeah, to there's it. no other way around. <laughs> anyway, I'm talking with Mia Dyson. She's an Australian artist based in Los Angeles these days. She's got a bunch of records out. You can drop by miadyson.com. Pick up her records, buy music. She's got a brand new EP. Just came out a few months ago, earlier this year. What's it called? Right there. Is that what it's mm-hmm. called? All right, yep. get there. Simple titles. Easy for easy for middle aged men to remember. <laughs> um, man, there's like I feel like I've got them like a trillion questions to ask you, but I mean we're almost out of time. It's like we've been talking for a while. Like I've got a thousand more questions I'm never going to get to. So you'll have to come back. Absolutely. I think we point. could talk for a long time. Talk for I. a long time. And just, there's, there's just, ah, there's so many things to get into with yeah. this stuff. So, but before you go, you got one more song. Yes. What's in, t- t- set this one up for me. What's this going to be? Yeah, actually speaking of, you know, all my romanticizing the American landscape, this song, Crazy Horse, um, is based on a book I read by um, Patrick DeWitt, an American writer called The Sisters Brothers. And it's about two brothers um, uh, during the gold rush era in the West, uh, uh, you know, near San Francisco, like following down this, yeah, yeah. Following down this, um, this, uh, you know, gold. And um, I took that story and actually made it just between, they're on horseback. So it's just between one brother and, and his horse and his horse is kind of, you know, kind of saves his life. And then he has to try and save the life of the horse. And I just, it's rare for me to, like, I read a book and I was like, this is just, this story is just kind of, you know, pops out for me that I could just turn it, you know, because the song is obviously so much shorter than a novel. Right. But um, I had so much fun. Like, this song just kind of fell out. And uh, it's, you know, no reference to Neil Young, although I'm a huge fan. Uh, so this one is Crazy Horse. Okay. Mia Dyson on Independence Day. The song is Crazy Horse. <laughs>
Crazy horse, crazy horse We wanna go on and stumbling I have a feeling about you Will you let it be true? Will you carry me over the flames? Will you help me resist the rain? Will you take me down the easy way? Dyson on Independence Day. The song is Crazy Horse dropped by MiaDyson.com to uh, get her bona fides. And she really is bona fide. Great guitar player, great singer, good songwriter. Um, I'm, I'm, it fills me with joy to see people who are talented, like doing well. So congratulations. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Um, keep doing what you do. Uh, and everybody should go see her play. Do you play in Los Angeles very much? I, I don't. I, I mean, haven't been lately, but I'm going to. I'm working on a new record, and I'll be probably playing around town in the next few months. So yeah, okay. keep keep an eye on the website. And let me know when that record comes out. We'll have you come back on. We'll talk about the Absolutely. record. Absolutely. Uh, we're doing these new things. People should check these out. By the way, there's a new feature we've got on the website. It's called a fast forward, an Independence oh. Day fast forward, where we take an artist who's already been on the show. And then kind of fast forward to present day, whenever that is in the future, whenever they got a new record or a new tour, or they're going to open up for Wilco or whatever they're going to do. Uh, so make sure you come back. Let us know when the record's coming out. I would, would love, love to, to have you come back on and do that. Um, but then lastly, so now, so you're working on a new record. That's kind of like the future of the Crystal Ball. Yes. Uh, you've got a new record. Have you started cutting tracks already? You must have songs. No. So the reason I was in Muscle Shoals oh, that's right. a little while ago was um, uh, I was going there to meet with John Paul White, who was of the Civil the civil wars who's now doing a lot of production work and uh to see if he might work on the next record with me and we totally connected and uh we're gonna i'm gonna make a record in muscle shoals in a a few months and i'm super excited about that i totally connected with john and there's some incredible players uh down there i'm gonna you know bring in bring in a couple players with me and um so 
that's going to be the next thing, and uh, I'm, I can't wait. That's pretty cool. So much history there. Oh, do you eat meat? Are you a meat eater? You know, I tried. Try not to, but then I just, you know, when I go somewhere like that. It's the one thing. Yeah. Like I'm try- I'm honestly tried to get away from it as much as I can, but the barbecue is so good it's there. Because I, I was born about 50 miles from Muscle Shoals. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, the, the style of barbecue down there, uh, this is Barbecue Corner, by the way. It's a new feature on Independence Day. Right, right. Just kidding. Uh, it's a <laughs> North, called North Carolina style. It's like just, just not tomato-based sauce. It's a vinegar-based sauce. Okay. Smoked meats, dry rub. Mm. So good. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Call yeah. me when you're there. There's a couple places I will send you to. Absolutely. I'll have Call to. I, I know some folks. Good. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, in any case. And then my last question, this is kind of like my, I call it the new favorite question, even though I've been asking it for probably a year or more. But what makes you happy? Oh, being, being present, connecting with people, playing music, being out in nature. Yeah? Being are you, alive. Are you, are you a hiker? Do you like to? Yep. Love it. Hiking. Pretty much just hiking. I'm not like an extreme sports cycling, you know, yeah. bungee jumping person at all. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, family, friends, love, music, nature, present. Chocolate? Chocolate too. <laughs> yes. How did you know? Uh, well, there's, I've, I've, I've one guess, but uh, but uh, uh, that spicy chocolate is my new thing. Oh. Try the spicy chocolate. Oh, man. Yes. Anyway, yes. Chili right. chocolate. Chili chocolate. Yeah. That's exactly the one. So, mm-hmm. Mia, the best of luck to you. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep making great records. Keep turning that amp up. And rock, <laughs> you know, I'm going to say rocking out. That sounds like such a stupid cliche thing to say, but but turn it up. Rock the house. I love it. Do what and you do. And I very much look forward to hearing what you're doing next musically with this new record. Thank you. And I really appreciate it. Love what you're doing, and it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Mia. The honor is mine. So thank you to Mia Dyson, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The unflappable Tony Tonelope Piscotti manages the Independence Day website, and thanks to him, Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything today, please be good to one another.